Hello and welcome to Coco Pods, a podcast of the Birth Center for Natural Deliveries Foundation. My name is Dr. Bola Sogade. I'm a women's health specialist and I'm the host of Coco Pods Public Education Podcast. Today we are fortunate to have with us Dr. Saga Pansy. Dr. Pansy, welcome to Coco Pods Podcast. Thank you so much, Dr. Sogadi. It's indeed my pleasure being here. Thank you very much for this opportunity to uh, improve education and access to uh, a disease process like uh, the kidney disease that we are seeing uh, patients with very high numbers uh, all across the country. Just a little bit about myself. I trained in India. I did my med school in India. Then I did two years of biomedical engineering, uh, master's in Virginia, and that was followed by residency and fellowship in Philadelphia. And then we moved to South Carolina for a few years, and for the past 11, 12 years, we've been in the Macon area. I'm part of a group, and we do all aspects of nephrology, including dialysis, uh, CKD management, hypertension, etc., and and once in a while, you know, we do see patients who are pregnant in the hospital. And I have to be very honest, you know, uh, we start sweating, you know, when we see that. But thankfully, uh, there are some uh, very good outcomes that happen there, too. Thank you. Thank you so much. So what is the name of your practice in the Middle Georgia area? So it's called Central Georgia Kidney Specialists. And it's four doctors and we have three nurse practitioners. And we cover all the hospitals in the Macon area. We also go to Milledgeville. And we have uh, dialysis centers at several locations and uh, multiple offices as well. Thank you. So, Dr. Pansy, you are a nephrologist. That is a subspecialty of internal medicine with your main focus in diagnosing and managing diseases that affect the way the kidney function. Can you expand our knowledge a little bit about the kind of doctor you are. And I know down the line, we're going to talk more about specifics. Sure. So nephrology is the medical side of uh, kidney problems. So uh, there are urologists out there, and the urologists are more like the surgeons who handle surgical issues associated with the kidneys. So for example... I'm sure that uh, most folks have someone uh, in their family, maybe their grandfather or uncle or dad, who's had prostate problems. And oftentimes they see urologists. And urologists are the ones who do procedures, et cetera, to handle prostate surgery. Sometimes they have to do kidney surgery for kidney stones, et cetera. So that's urology. That's a separate surgical specialty. Us in nephrology, we are more focused on the functioning of the kidney, and when the functioning of the kidney is abnormal, what are the manifestations, and we take care of the medical aspects of uh, all those problems. So as the kidneys, if someone has kidney problem, there are multiple comorbid conditions that exist in that patient, and we not only handle the kidney disease per se, we also manage all the other complications that come with them. So are there instances in which a urologist, uh, what they do, are there instances when it overlaps with what you do as a nephrologist? Oh, absolutely. Several instances, uh, especially in the hospital setting, we might get patients who have acute kidney injury, and we'll talk a little bit about that in just a moment, where patient's kidney function is abnormal. We 
try to figure out why their kidney function is abnormal. And we might find in some situations that there is obstruction to the flow of urine. And oftentimes that's a situation where we might have to call the urologist to come and assist us in relieving that obstruction. Because again, you know, they are more of the surgeons for the kidneys, while we are more of the medical doctors for the kidneys. So yeah, there's a good bit of collaboration that takes place over here. Well, thank you. So to summarize, you know, the nephrologists like you specifically treat diseases that affect the kidney and their ability to function. And the urologists are kind of these people that treat conditions of the urinary tract, including kidney stones and obstruction. And they are the surgical aspect of the people that take care of the kidney. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's very well put. And and for nephrology, you know, the other aspect of nephrology beyond just kidney medicine is management of electrolyte disorders, uh, like patients who have low sodium levels, potassium levels are abnormal. And then uh, another aspect is management of complex hypertension. Sometimes we get patients sent over because their blood pressures are just not at goal despite them being on uh, several different medicines. And uh, there are different strategies that we utilize to explore what's going on and then uh, potentially to treat them differently. Wow. Yeah, that's exciting because there's some new development in that area that we're going to talk about as we go on. Now, talking about the kidneys, there's a condition in which the kidneys suddenly can't filter waste from the blood you know, in a condition called acute renal failure. You know, how common is this condition? What are the symptoms that the layperson should look out for out there that will make them think that they have acute kidney failure? That is a sudden failure of the kidney function. Right. So acute kidney failure, or sometimes we call it as acute kidney injury, is when there is sudden cessation of kidney function. And what symptoms someone might experience with acute kidney failure? Well, before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about what the kidneys normally do. So all of us, we are fortunate because we are born with two kidneys. Some of us have three kidneys. Some of us only have one kidneys. And then people can donate their kidney. Why? Because all you really need is one. Uh, So each of our kidney is made up of millions of these functioning units, and these are called as nephrons. And the nephrons are, an easy way to think about this is that each nephron is like a small filter in your body. And what happens is that the blood passes through that filter, and the filter has very small holes. So all the good substances, they stay in the bloodstream, whereas all the waste products, and that includes excess fluid, several different toxic metabolic products like creatinine, BUN, sometimes potassium, all of these are excreted because they are filtered out, they pass through the small holes in the filters and they escape from the bloodstream into the urinary compartment and eventually it gets excreted out uh, once the person urinates. So the kidneys play a very critical role in filtering all the waste products that otherwise would accumulate in our system. So that's one important function of the kidneys. The second important function is regulation of blood pressure because oftentimes, and and in the past, they used to think that kidneys were the only source of hypertension. 
But now we have a little better understanding that, yes, kidneys play a significant role, but they are not the only source of hypertension. And hypertension and kidney disease, they go hand in hand. I mean, it's almost impossible to see someone who has chronic kidney disease who does not have an elevated blood pressure. And elevated blood pressure increases the risk of getting chronic kidney disease. So it's, uh, it's sometimes it's hard to say which came first, but hypertension and kidney disease are very closely linked uh, to each other. Some other aspects of what normally our kidneys do, uh, it's vitamin D metabolism. Uh, the final step of that takes place in the kidneys. So patients with uh, kidney problems are deficient in vitamin D. Uh, there's also anemia that is very commonly seen with kidney problems. That's because there's that hormone erythropoietin that normally is secreted by the kidneys. And as the kidneys are not working, secretion of that hormone goes down. That hormone normally stimulates the bone marrow to make more red cells. So that process is compromised as well. And patients with kidney problems become anemic. For that, you know, we do have a treatment option of giving them some erythropoietin injections and that tends to stabilize their hemoglobin. And finally, one more function that I just want to touch upon is acidosis. You know, we all have this metabolism that's taking place in our body. And one of the byproducts of metabolism is production of acid, just like there's production of water. And that acid normally is neutralized by the kidneys. So when someone's kidneys are not functioning, the acid levels tend to remain high and we can see that in their blood work, and uh, that requires some special intervention as well. So I'm sure there are some other kidney functions that I did not touch upon, but, but in a, a nutshell, you know, at a high level, these are the most commonly uh, discussed about and uh, issues that are very important to what our kidneys normally do. Now, what happens when the kidney function becomes abnormal all of these functions in different capacities are going to get affected. What kind of symptoms will the patient have? Well, sometimes patients will have absolutely no symptoms, especially if they've had chronic progression of kidney problems over several years, then their body adapts. And, and that's, that's something that God has given us that gift that, you know, our body adapts to whatever new environment ha that has been created. So if that disease process has been very slow or insidious in the background, then our body tries to adapt to this new environment. And that's why oftentimes, even with advanced kidney disease, patients might have absolutely no symptoms. On the other hand, if someone has more of acute kidney injury or acute renal failure, as you mentioned, they are more likely to have symptoms. And those symptoms may include decrease in urine output, swelling of their legs, shortness of breath, they might have uh, some chest pain, uh, or they might have symptom uh, suggestive of what made them or caused them to have the renal failure, like dehydration or, or sepsis or infection, etc. So symptomatology is different depending upon the setting, whether it's acute or whether it's more of a chronic insidious process, in which case there might be absolutely no symptoms. It's not surprising that, and it's not uncommon that we get a call from the ER to see a patient who really hasn't had much of a follow-up. They may have some hypertension, but they were really not taking too many medicines. So they were really not taking good care of themselves. 
and they show up in the ER just with some vague symptoms and we check their blood work in the ER and their creatinine is 12, indicating that their kidneys are functioning less than 10%. Uh, and oftentimes we might have to do dialysis over there. So a very important take-home message from this conversation is that pretty much everybody is at risk for having kidney problems. If, uh, if you have hypertension, if you have diabetes, if uh, someone is obese, if there's a history of smoking, if there's family history, there are some genetic predispositions. African-American patient population and Hispanic patients are more likely to have kidney disease as opposed to other ethnicities. So if you have these risk factors, I think it's not a bad idea to talk to your primary care doctor. And I'm sure most of them would be checking for the kidney function as well. Well, thank you. So for, for this acute kidney failure, so at times the patients are already in the hospital. Can acute kidney failure, like that is a kidney failing suddenly, can it kill somebody? Can it be treated? And is the prognosis good? Does it have a good outcome if it's successfully treated? Right. So acute kidney failure, as the name suggests, it happens very quickly. That's a, And in most of these situations, we are assuming that their kidney function was pretty much normal to begin with. Some kind of an insult happened, may it be dehydration, may it be infection, may it be obstruction to the flow of urine. But because of some kind of an insult, their kidney function, which was doing great and was normal, all of a sudden got compromised. Now, if they don't seek attention right away, there is a possibility that the toxins will accumulate to a level where it might just stop the heart. You know, high potassium is one of the complications that we are always worried about in these kind of settings. And if someone just tries to stay at home and does not seek attention, that potassium level might just go high, really high, to the point that it can be uh, fatal at times too. Fortunately, you know, most of these patients do get that feeling of uh, being very sick. They might be feeling very dry, dehydrated, etc., depending upon what caused it. And they oftentimes come over to the hospital. Once they are in the hospital, uh, when we are involved, our job is not just to treat the kidney failure, but also to try to figure out what caused this kidney failure. You know, 90% of the treatment of acute kidney injury is really treatment, is really investigating and figuring out what caused it. Because once you know what caused it, you got to treat that first. And then oftentimes the kidney function automatically improves. For example, if someone is, say, dehydrated, they haven't been eating, drinking, and they've been out in the sun, maybe they were doing yard work for several days and and they just haven't kept up with their fluid intake, then they show up in the ER, their, their kidney function is abnormal. We identify that this is probably the source is the dehydration for the acute kidney injury. So a number one goal there would be to treat the dehydration, get them started on IV fluids, encourage them to eat whenever they can. And once that is tackled, the kidney function should improve in most of these situations. However, have I seen patients who've had acute kidney injury and have required dialysis? Yes. Has the dialysis been temporary? Most of the times, but I have seen patients who've had acute kidney injury and they get started on dialysis for whatever the indication was and they just don't recover and that dialysis becomes permanent. So that's why, again, it stresses on the fact that 
be vigilant, you know, be aware of what's happening to you and and if things are not right, seek assistance sooner than later. Wow. And you know, also and you kind of alluded to this, only 10% of people with chronic kidney disease, that is 10 out of every 100, actually know that they have that condition. So, and you know, what why is this so? Number one and Can you also maybe describe where the kidneys are in our bodies and you know just the location? Sure. So let's talk about the anatomy part first. So uh, we all have two kidneys and our kidneys are located in the back. They are on the sides of the vertebral column, but they are all the way in the back. Sometimes we we have patients, you know, who come saying that their belly pain is because of kidney issues and that's typically not the case because kidney problems typically don't cause pain unless someone is having a kidney stone that is blocking the flow of urine then the pain is extreme is almost like in you know in the hospital setting we we almost tell patients that this is a kind of like labor pain you know that's that's the one time that men can experience how intense labor pain can be when they get a kidney stone and the second time is when someone has a severe infection which has not only involved the urinary stream in the bladder but it has extended beyond and now it's involving the actual kidney and that's what we call as pyelonephritis where there is a deep seated infection in the kidney and that can cause severe pain as well but otherwise uh, majority of the times kidney problems do not cause pain i mean it's good and bad it's it's good because you know patient is pain free but it's bad because sometimes pain is the reason why we seek attention you know a lot of times patients who get heart attacks for example why do they go to the hospital they go to the hospital because they realize that there's something happening in the chest they are having that pain that tightness that arm pain sometimes but in this situation with kidney problems oftentimes there is no pain so chronic kidney disease talking about that chronic kidney disease is the number one cause of chronic kidney disease in the world now is diabetes the number two cause of chronic kidney disease in the world is hypertension and we all know that patients who have diabetes oftentimes have hypertension as well and that definitely increases the risk of having kidney disease dialysis uh, is is something that we do for patients who have very advanced kidney disease and we'll talk about dialysis in uh, just a moment but diabetes and hypertension are by far the commonest causes of kidney disease and what happens with diabetes and hypertension these disease processes are very slow they are not rapid and the kidneys try to adapt to this new environment of living with a blood pressure of say 160 by 90 as opposed to 120 by 80 or having a blood sugar that's constantly around 180 or 200 and it's that adaptation that the kidneys take place and that's why patients oftentimes don't get any symptoms because the kidneys are adapting to that new environment they are working harder they are adjusting they are trying to cope up with the excessive demands that have been put on them but at some point that system is is not set up 
to go on forever, uh, a point is going to come which is be going to be beyond the capacity to what the kidneys can compensate. And that's when uh, patients uh, oftentimes end up in the ER with multiple symptoms and uh, they might have to start dialysis. So as you mentioned, you know, majority of our, of our patients who have kidney disease, earlier stages or even late stage kidney disease oftentimes have no symptoms and that's predominantly because of the adaptation that's taking place inside. For women, the diagnosis of kidney disease and the diagnosis of hypertension, it's good to know that diagnosis before a woman conceives, you know, before she even attempts to get pregnant. And so first of all, I want you to talk about, so for a woman thinking of pregnancy and not wanting to have undiagnosed kidney disease, what are the prevention strategies that she can use to avoid kidney disease? And how are some of the ways in which we diagnose and treat, you know, kidney disease, you know, in a woman trying to get pregnant or in a woman in early pregnancy stages? Right. So... Kidney disease in someone who is not pregnant is common. You know, one of the, especially in situations where patients have predisposing risk factors. And what are these risk factors? Hypertension by far is uh, is a very common risk factor there. Second one is, as I mentioned, diabetes. Third is smoking. Fourth is having high cholesterol, heart disease, uh, obesity, and a sedentary lifestyle. And then there are some genetic factors that play some role over here too. So if someone has any of these risk factors and they have not been diagnosed with having any kidney disease, I think it would be prudent to talk to your primary care doctor or your OBGYN doctor if you're thinking about being pregnant and ask them to evaluate for your kidney health. And when we check for kidney health, there are two simple blood and urine tests that we do to assess someone's kidney health. One is a serum chemistry, which is a random specimen of the blood. It can be drawn at any time of the day. It doesn't have to be fasting. And from that specimen, we get a creatinine. And the creatinine is a marker of kidney disease. I don't want to get into too much details of the technical aspects of it, but normal creatinine is somewhere less than 1.2. It depends a little bit on what lab is drawing that lab. But anything about 1.2 on a consistent basis would constitute some kind of kidney disease, and it would be important to talk to your, to your uh, primary doctor about it. The second test that we do to assess someone's kidney function is a it's another random test so the patient doesn't have to be fasting there's no 24-hour collection required but the patient just gives a sample of their urine and we check their urine for two different concentrations one is protein and the second one is creatinine and the two numbers that we get the protein and the creatinine we just divide the protein by the creatinine and that tells us if that patient has any proteinuria now, normally, there should not be any proteinuria or any protein in person's urine. Why is that so? Well, going back to physiology, when we think about what's happening in the kidneys, again, the kidneys are made up of many millions of these small filters. And the filters have very small holes in them. Protein is a big molecule that's floating in the blood. So when that blood passes through the filter, protein 
cannot pass through the small holes in these filters and that's why it sits and it stays in the bloodstream and it does not escape into the urine. So that's why whenever we see any degree of proteinuria, it indicates to us that this person is having some kind of kidney issue that is actively ongoing and definitely requires uh, some kind of assistance. So two ways of assessing kidney functions and both are equally important. It's not that you do either or. You got to do both the tests at the same time as the blood chemistry. And the second is a urine protein to creatinine ratio, which tells us about proteinuria. Now, talking about someone who wants to get pregnant and has been diagnosed with chronic kidney disease. So chronic kidney disease does put them at higher risk for complications during their pregnancy. One possibility is that, you know, if they have hypertension, their hypertension might get worse during pregnancy. Second is their kidney disease might get worse during pregnancy, uh, very rarely to the point that they might need dialysis or kidney transplant, which obviously we cannot do kidney transplant in someone who is actively pregnant. And then the, the third thing is, of course, you know, uh, with your OB background, I'm sure you can relate to that a lot, is, is the risk of preeclampsia and eclampsia, which are complications that happen in the later half of pregnancy, which can be very detrimental, not just to the mom, but also to the fetus. And that's why if someone has chronic kidney disease and they are pregnant, we would definitely recommend that they follow with their GYN doctors very closely. Maybe if there's a need, they can also see a nephrologist as well. But I can tell you very honestly that if I see a patient who is pregnant, I'm going to defer all my questions predominantly to the OBGYN doctor because in our mind, you know, during pregnancy, you know, the OBGYN doctor is really the the driving force, is is really the pilot of this airplane, and we are just providing a little bit of assistance. So that's why it's important that if you have chronic kidney disease and you want to get pregnant, definitely talk to your uh, OBGYN doctor about the timing of that. Make sure all your risk factors are adequately controlled. And could you talk about, you know, some of the changes in the kidney with pregnancy? Sure. So pregnancy is a physiological process, uh, but there are some changes that take place. And most of these changes hopefully are just temporary. And once the pregnancy is over, uh, the changes should reverse. So far from the kidney perspective, one thing that we often see is there is a little drop in their creatinine. Now that is because there is dilution of the bloodstream. So as I said, creatinine is the marker of kidney functioning. But in this situation, because there is just an increased volume of blood, uh, because the pregnant mom has to feed the baby as well, there is a little bit of a drop in the creatinine. Uh, second thing that we see is there is increase in the plasma flow or blood flow to the kidneys. Oftentimes, patients might experience that during pregnancy, they are going to the bathroom more 
That's partly because of the increased renal plasma flow because the kidneys are working harder to get rid of all the poisons from the system. And the second thing is uh, because of the gravid or the pregnant uterus might be compressing some of the pathways by which urine uh, is excreted out uh, from uh, any person. So because of those uh, things, there might be an increased uh, chance of urinary tract infections too because there is a possibility of blockage or stagnation of urine somewhere in the urinary tract. The, the easy way to remember this is that whenever urine is flowing, uh, the risk of urinary tract infections is low. For whatever reason, if urine stagnates or accumulates somewhere, then there is a higher risk of infection. And we see that more so during pregnancy in the later half of pregnancy because of the uh, pressure of the uterus on all the organs that uh, play a critical role in excreting that urine out. So, you know, you talked about the UTI, a urinary tract infection, especially in a pregnant woman. And what are the typical symptoms of a urinary tract infection? And we understand that some of one of the symptoms, at least, the frequency of urination could be increased in pregnancy because of the increased blood volume that we see in pregnancy, leading to increased perfusion of the kidneys, increased blood flow to the kidneys. So what are some of the typical symptoms and signs of a urinary tract infection that would also be present in a pregnant woman? Right. So urinary tract infection, common signs and symptoms first is increased frequency. Second is there is burning during uh, urination. Third is urine might be foul smelling. And fourth is you might actually see very discolored urine. There might be some blood in it. Uh, it just doesn't look normal. Fifth, sometimes patients might get fever. And then sixth, you know, when the infection has really spread from the bladder and it has involved the kidneys, that's when patients tend to get sicker. They might even have to be admitted to the hospital. Their blood pressure might drop. They might start getting chills and rigors and severe back pain. As I mentioned, you know, this is one of the situations where patients might actually experience pain associated with uh, kidney problems. But infections or deep infections of the kidneys are not very common, fortunately. Most of the infections that we see, even during pregnancy, are probably going to be your usual common urinary tract infection which are lower down, which are involving the bladder, and they have not spread anywhere beyond the bladder. And that's why the symptoms tend to be more localized in those situations. Now, I'm sure uh, you guys check for the asymptomatic bacteriuria, which is one of the conditions that happens uniquely in pregnancy where, where someone has absolutely no symptoms, but when you check their urine, you see that there is some infection and there are bacteria uh, that are floating around in very high numbers. So normally, our urine is full of bugs at all times. So why do we not have urinary tract infection all the time? It's because the bugs are there, but they are not proliferating, and our natural immune system is defending the bladder and all our local urinary tracts from getting infected from those bugs. But when that uh, immune defense mechanism is compromised to some extent, 
or the bugs are just uh, there in very high concentrations, that's when a urinary tract infection becomes apparent. And of course, it's very easy to treat with a couple of doses of antibiotics. Uh, uh, we can pretty much get rid of it. Now, what's the role of things like cranberry uh, drinks and, and, and the likes that people do to help, quote unquote, treat a urinary tract infection? Right. So cranberry juice, there are a couple of studies that were done with cranberry juice, which showed that they may help to a very small extent. But if someone has active urinary tract infection confirmed by microscopic analysis, I would not recommend just relying on cranberry juice. I would definitely give them antibiotics and maybe they can still try some cranberry juice. It's nice and delicious uh, for the most part. So there's uh, not much loss there as long as the sugars are under control. Uh, but otherwise, you know, I would not rely just on cranberry juice. Uh, the one situation where we do tell patients to drink it more actively is if someone is getting recurrent urinary tract infections. So they get one, we treat it, but then within a few weeks it might come back or they get infection by another bug. In that situation, uh, once we rule out that there is no anatomical problem uh, with the flow of urine, we might just suggest that try this uh, cranberry juice and let's see if that uh, provides any relief. Yeah, thank you. And we want all the women to definitely uh, consult with their physicians about urinary tract infection diagnosis and treatment. And, you know, you did mention if there was an a, anatomical problem. And one of the reasons in OB we treat a urinary tract infection is we don't want it to become a kidney infection that can lead to problems with the baby, including premature delivery. So if when the pregnant woman, for instance, has an upper tract infection or a kidney stone that would present with pain. And at that point, we talk to a nephrologist, a urologist. How do we really manage these conditions? You know, Right. So hopefully, you know, most of the infections that you guys see would be lower urinary tract infections involving just the bladder and nothing more. But in that rare situation, if it is involving the actual kidneys, then it's called pyelonephritis. And, and that's, a, that's definitely a more complicated issue to uh, treat. Sometimes uh, in these situations, just pills for antibiotics might not even be effective. And we might have to recommend admission to the hospital or IV antibiotics at another facility if that's a possibility. But those patients are definitely at risk for more complications to happen. And that's why the goal is that as soon as a pregnant woman feels that there might be an infection, talk to your OBGYN doctor, seek attention soon enough that we can catch infection early, start treatment early, and hopefully get rid of it. <laughs> 